From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Six months into the pandemic, Onondaga County has counted more than 4,000 cases of COVID-19 among the population. One segment of that population is the refugee community, and Dr. Andrea Shaw is with me now to look at how this disease is impacting refugees. She's an assistant professor of medicine at Upstate who concentrates on refugee and global health. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Shaw. Thank you so much, Amber. Happy to be here. So please tell us, which countries do the refugees come from that you care for in your practice? So Upstate has been a primary care home for refugee families for many years. And certainly we've seen the waves of refugees uh, shift each year based on those that are accepted into our country and based on historical need. So I'd say the vast majority of the refugees we serve include those from Southeast Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, and the Middle East. And these shift every year, as I mentioned, but those who become part of our practice have been with us for now 20 years. Have there been new arrivals during the pandemic, or has all of that sort of been shut down with the borders being closed? So certainly the pandemic put a slow to already slow numbers that dropped off after 2016. So as President Trump had come to office, our numbers of resettlement nationally went from nearly 100,000 in 2016 down to just over 20,000 in 2017, which is really an all-time low for us ever since we started resettling refugees. So we knew that 2020 was already going to be a low year with a, with a benchmark of about 20,000 that the U.S. would accept to resettle. But then things were quickly halted, just like everything around the country in March. And so in the last month, they've opened up. There were a few very high-risk families that did make it through uh, the resettlement process amidst the height of the pandemic. But now that the International Organization of Migration and the CDC have all of the, all of the parameters in place to protect refugee families and ensure that they have safe travel and safe quarantine and safe acceptance upon arrival for all parties involved. They have reopened the doors and we do expect to see the 200 or so refugees total that Syracuse was slated to resettle uh, before the end of this year. Wow. Okay. And then as you mentioned, some of your patients you've been caring for for 20 years or they've been part of the practice that long. So back in March, um, when it became evident that this novel coronavirus was a pandemic, how did you get the word out and what was the message that you wanted to get out to the refugee community? Yeah, so I think there were, there were two approaches. One was, how are we going to get public health messaging that was changing quite rapidly, um, accurately delivered to a population that spoke well over we have well over 70 languages that the Syracuse City School District has documented that their students uh, speak regularly, and we probably have 20 languages that our refugee clinic serves on a regular basis. So how are we going to meet the needs of all of these this diverse population and really make sure that health equity measures were in place so that they weren't left out amidst the pandemic? We knew that these families came from densely populated households where often large families lived, and many of them were essential workers that were continuing to work in the capacity of 
healthcare and farming and cleaning and other essential worker positions. So we wanted to make sure we got the accurate information out. And there were a number of different ways we did it. Um, there's a, a number of national resources that were available through CDC and other refugee centers of excellence that helped us deliver YouTube uh, video links and audio links with cartoons that described COVID-19, described the symptoms, described how to protect yourself, social distancing, wearing masks, how to keep your family safe, how to keep your home safe. And so this messaging was adapted in many different languages. And uh, for many of our refugees, they may have lived up to a decade, or an average family lives a decade in a refugee camp before coming. And many of the adults did not have opportunities to go to school. And so it's not uncommon that somebody might be able to speak three or four languages, but can't read or write in their own language or in their primary tongue. So these audio clips were really important and video clips were really important. And even for families that don't have re reliable phone plans or reliable Wi-Fi uh, broadband internet. There were many who still had access to data through WhatsApp and through a number of other informal platforms that we reached out to a layer of health navigators who were culturally congruent, uh, former refugees themselves who spoke many of these languages, who helped to disseminate this information and so that people were able to listen in their own language and meaningfully participate, ask questions, um, get their concerns heard and help to find resources that their families could be supported by. So you really had to get creative. I mean, you couldn't go to like traditional media so much for your message in order to reach your population. You had to get creative, it sounds like. Certainly, um, given that English is the only language I'm fluent in, um, there are many of us who had to utilize a lot of resources available to us, but there's a lot of there's a lot of collaboration across refugee providers across the country. So I feel like there are a lot of people reaching for some of the same supports and a lot of centers came together and shared useful information and were really able to get the word out, which was great. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Andrea Shaw. She's a doctor of internal medicine and pediatrics who specializes in refugee and global health at Upstate. We're discussing how the pandemic is affecting refugee populations in Syracuse. Now, you described uh, people living in multiple family homes, um, working jobs in the essential services. Those can be sort of high-risk situations. So are are you finding our refugees at higher risk uh, for this pandemic? So certainly back in March and April, I worked closely with our COVID transitions team and we took all positive COVID tests from upstate and worked closely to follow with telemedicine and support these patients through a really anxiety provoking time. And in that mix of people, we found that over 20% of that population did not speak English as a primary language and we're largely made up of refugees and immigrants. So every month we meet with stakeholders in the community, primary care practices from across town that resettle refugees, including Upstate, St. Joe's, Compassionate Family Medicine, and Syracuse Community Health Center. We come together with community stakeholders like the health department and the two main agencies that resettle refugees, Catholic Charities and Interfaith Works. And every month we get together to talk about issues related to health, and access to care and challenges that the population is facing. And it's no surprise that our meetings amidst 
the late spring and early summer also around all surrounded COVID. And so one of the things that came forward was we've been doing a lot of this outreach. We've engaged culturally congruent refugee health navigators to participate in this public health outreach work. But testing is really hard to find. Testing is hard for this population to access, to understand, and to follow up with, given the language barrier. So one of the things we worked closely with Upstate on in the past few months was to develop a research protocol that allowed us to use the saliva swab PCR test developed by Dr. Frank Middleton at Upstate to pursue a research public health surveillance that basically opened up free saliva swab PCR testing to refugee and immigrant families in a trusted site on the north side that Catholic Charities uses as their main hub and interfaith works as well for support services for refugees and immigrants. So over the last 10 weeks, word has gotten out amongst the refugee health navigators who have reached out to households who they themselves perceived themselves at risk and have voluntarily come forward for screening. And in the last 10 weeks, we've screened over 200 households and that's over 650 individuals that have come forward for surveillance screening. Given our initial population of non-English speakers who were infected with COVID, we expected to find a really high percentage amongst these largely essential worker households that lived in really dense settings. But to our surprise, we are very happy to report that there were six households of those over 200 that had initially tested positive on a saliva swab test. Now remember, this PCR test is very sensitive. It's very good for screening. It's the same style test that's been supported by screening by different universities in the SUNY system, as well as the health department's engagement with the Syracuse City School Districts. So this assay helps us to detect any sign of the virus that might be there, and we follow up with a clinical nasal swab at Upstate. So of those almost 675 people who have tested so far, we've only had two that have been confirmed positive, which gives us a test positivity rate well under 1%, which is not what we were expecting to find, but we attribute a lot of this success to the work of the two resettlement agencies and the active outreach of these health navigators who've been promoting safety and knowledge about this disease in a way that people can truly understand it. It's not just about translating the words, it's about helping people understand in a way that connects with them. So addressing it based on that individual household's need, which is gonna depend on a lot of different social factors, the educational background, their cultural perceptions, what myths they may have heard amongst the community, where they get their trusted health information. These things are all worked through as the health navigators connect with households and help to support and spread education and spread spread the real facts around COVID and how to keep people safe. So I think they've been doing a tremendous job. And I think we've seen a lot fewer asymptomatic positive patients or clients in, in our community than we would have expected. So have you found refugees willing to wear face masks? Absolutely. So maybe that's doing a lot to help. And then we've talked with other experts about the importance of um, keeping your hands uh, washed frequently or san hand sanitizer being used frequently. Uh, they must be putting these things into practice. 
Absolutely. And I know that there was a lot we did to try to make sure that the supply was available at a time when store shelves were empty with things. The agencies both did a great job to help supplement that supply and get some of these cleaning supplies into people's homes, instruct them how to use them. So I think all of that was really helpful. How have you gone about debunking some of the myths uh, that are out there? And what, what are some of the most popular myths that you've had to debunk? There's different themes that run in different ethnic communities. And from what was coming out from the resettlement agencies early on in the pandemic, had a lot more to do around disbelief that COVID was real and that there may have been more uh, conspiracy theories at play at that time. I think as we've seen the shape of the COVID pandemic shift um, and the, the curve has leveled out over time and more people have come to know and understand it and get questions addressed, I think there's still, there's still myths that are resurfacing around people Concerned when we offer surveillance testing when they feel well, there's concern that the swab is actually going to infect them um, and that when people go for the test that the swab is actually causing the virus. So many of these things are debunked by trying to empower people to help them understand what tools are available. So our surveillance screening is a completely voluntary basis. There's about 400 households that these two agencies through their health navigators regularly reach out to with support and information. And those who feel they're at risk or have desire to know about the status of their household are offered this test free of charge. And we support them with all the follow-up and access to care that they might need. And I feel that that's a model that's unique and how we've adapted it to meet the needs of this population that have language barriers certainly as their first priority. How has the pandemic changed the way you care for refugees in the office when they come for a, a medical visit? So just as all of Upstate has adapted, we certainly have protocols in place for social distancing, for limiting the number of, of clients in the office. We've shifted a lot more of our follow-up to telemedicine when it's, a, when it's possible. And that can add another layer of challenge when we actually try have to get a video interface due to the limitations that the that the individual refugee might have based on technology adaptation at home. Um, many times we when we know clients or know patients well, we can follow up by phone calls with using an interpreter very easily and readily and sometimes save time spent in the office because of that. So minimizing the face to face time is the goal when you can safely and still accomplish the care needs. So in the office, as I mentioned, the social distancing practices are in place. Each clinic, the pediatric clinic and the internal medicine clinic has protocols in place for wearing face shields and masks. And I'd say that patients and staff are doing a tremendous job following this because people have been staying safe. Well, that's good to know. Thank you so much to my guest, Dr. Andrea Shaw. She's an assistant professor of medicine at Upstate who specializes in refugee and global health. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.